Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with Edward Crawford. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you because... Um, you know, doing a little bit of research on you and, and, and your background. You have such an amazing history um, doing so many different things that, that are so exciting. Um, and it seems like in not uh, in, in a very short amount of time also. So, you know, I'm really interested to, to kind of go through that chronology um, and, and understand um, and, and really understand it. Right. So I guess my question sure, for sure. you is uh, what is your story? Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess you could start with uh, service is really um, a big part of my story. Um, uh, and I really learned that from my grandfather. So my grandfather escaped um, in 1938 uh, before Crystal Night. He escaped Austria as an Austrian Jew. Um, he applied to the U.S. military twice as an Austrian to fight the Nazis. Um, they rejected him. The U.S. did because he was Austrian. But he made it to this country. Um, became a doctor and a healer, ultimately joining the army and serving many of the people uh, that had fought to save his people in Austria. And so he, he thought this country was amazing. Everything was taken from him, his family, his way of life, um, and his country. And uh, he became an American, and uh, he instilled in me that, that desire to serve and, um, and make the world a better place, uh, and that love of country as well. And so that's a lot of my story, why I ended up serving in the Peace Corps, uh, post-Katrina New Orleans, um, and then ultimately uh, the Navy as well. And, and, and kind of what I'm doing now in business, I, I consider service as well. So it's been a theme throughout my life, but really it was inspired for, uh, from a guy that's been through a lot tougher, tougher things in life, my grandfather. So. so let's actually talk about how he instilled that in you like was it was it your conversations did he lead by example was it a combination of a, a few different things how did he actually do that yeah yeah well you know there's a, there's a saying that i always love preach preach often and when when uh when necessary use words and so he definitely led by example but i'll i'll kind of give you one one really big example so you know many of the people that escaped um from uh nazi europe right uh there were, there's a lot of bitterness and anger. They went through a lot of, they lost everything. Right. Um, and what granddaddy did was very different. In fact, he ultimately forgave Hitler, um, and got rid of the anger in his heart and started to serve and love others. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter and he wasn't. And so that example to me, um, along with the fact that he came here and didn't need to join the army, um, but did it, did it anyway. Um, that was really the example that he set for me. And, he, you know, he would say, I love this country and his uh, Austrian accent, which sometimes I didn't understand very well. <laughs> you know, he would he would um, he would tell me how amazing it was here. And um, he was just a, a man of character, but that could have been bitter and angry and that was full of love and generosity and service. And so his example spoke to me. So it seems like it was through actions of of extreme kindness and, and, and grace yeah. and forgiveness that mm -hmm. really he showed you and, and didn't as much have to say it. Right. Right. He, he didn't, uh, he didn't need to use words cause it was obvious what he had done. Track record speaks pretty loud. <laughs> That's amazing. It seems like he has a big influence in, in your life. 
He was, he was. And as a matter of fact, he, um, he escaped with some musical instruments because they knew the Nazis wouldn't take those from him. And uh, today, my brother, who just graduated from Juilliard, um, plays his 200-year-old cello and is soloed with the Shreveport Symphony, with the Philadelphia Symphony. He's played it in the Louvre, in Moscow. And so that cello, uh, my grandfather's passed away. Robert Popper was his name. But that cello has 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 kept his journey going. And uh, if he knew back in Austria that that's what would have happened, I think he wouldn't have believed it. So it's really been a, a neat story. That's amazing. So yeah. t- take us through some of your younger years. Who were you mm-hmm. as a kid and, and what was your childhood like? Yeah, I was uh, I was very adventurous. Uh, I would say I took after my granddad in that, in that regard as well. Um, growing up in Louisiana, I spent a lot of time in the swamps. And uh, so I uh, grew up um, eating a lot of crawfish. Um, I would go to Natchitoches Parish, Louisiana a lot and catch little alligators. And that became a hobby, just being out in the, uh, in the swamp and in nature. Um, ended up, uh, as, the, as the older of four boys, um, I had to kind of become a, a, a leader quickly or get out of the way. <laughs> uh, some of my brothers ended up being bigger than me. <laughs> um, so uh, so that, was, you know, that was a part of it, being the older of four boys, um, always just jumping into challenges. Um, playing sports, lacrosse, um, getting involved in student government, those types of things. Um, and then ultimately, uh, it was, uh, I knew in high school I wanted to serve in the military, maybe the Peace Corps. Uh, and in college, it was just, it, it wasn't if, it was when and which one, which path to choose. So when, when you were going through that decision-making process, Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe it wasn't a, maybe it wasn't a process. Maybe it was just this innate feeling. Uh, what was that? What was actually going through your head? I mean, were, were you thinking, I want to be just like my grandfather and, and I want to go mm-hmm. serve in that specific way? Or was mm-hmm. there, you know, was, was it kind of like a back and forth? Like, how did that, how did you actually make that decision and, and where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I looked at going straight into the military and a lot of different things. And for, uh, for a reason that's fairly specific, I went into the Peace Corps and how I thought about this was, you know, I'm, um, I'm driven, uh, through faith and faith has gotten me through a lot of things. Um, and so I felt that, um, to be a true humble servant, to serve with some of the poorest of the poor, was the best way to start out in life after college, right? Um, and so I thought that um, getting on the ground and living with people who were struggling and in poverty and helping them um, was the best way I could show my heart and show that I cared um, and try to lead through service. And uh, so I, um, that was where I wanted to start. In fact, not the military, but kind of showing service through love and actions um, that way uh, is why I chose uh, the Peace Corps ultimately. It seems like we're already seeing somewhat of a of a golden thread here um, of leadership and service being things that that are valued or, or have been valued throughout throughout the narrative thus far. Yeah, well, that, that you know, I, I I learned the Peace Corps was my first experience with servant leadership, really. Um, and, uh, I lost 40 pounds to amoebic dysentery, dengue fever. I got wow. very sick, right? I had tried to convince the farmers to start this coffee cooperative that we ultimately started, Coca Sur. They didn't show up to my meetings. They liked me, but they just didn't 
didn't believe, didn't necessarily trust me all the way. Um, so I started working with him. I started really actually serving and I'd go up the mountains every day and eventually I couldn't keep up and I got sicker and sicker. And it wasn't until I got to the point, I got so sick. I, I, you know, between us, I just, I thought about giving up on life. It was tough. Like I got very sick living in a little $12 a month, uh, shack. And, uh, I, this community that I'd come to rescue and help now had to rescue me. And uh, so it wasn't until they saw that I was willing to kind of give everything in my personal health that they you know, came to my rescue, trusted me, and ultimately uh, followed me and let me lead. And uh, so today there are 300 people in the coffee cooperative. Um, many years later, they've planted 2 million coffee trees in the mountains. Um, they've built community centers, roads, and they have a saying in, in Espanol and Spanish called, En la Union tenemos la fuerza. And the objective was, it means um, in union, we have power. And so organizing them in this cooperative structure and this coffee business has helped them to achieve a lot of goals. But I would have never got them there if I hadn't shown them, hey, I was, really, I was willing to really get on my knees and serve you guys to the extent that I actually uh, risk, risk my own life and health. Um, and that's what ultimately kind of brought us together. So it was, it was a real life example that I, I sometimes have to learn things the hard way. <laughs> and that was one of those examples. <laughs> of maybe I should have just done that in the first place, but um, it was an example of, of learning servant leadership the hard way. Um, but but it worked, and I've been back every year since then, except for the year I was in Afghanistan. I took my eight-year-old daughter back last year, and um, the Dominican and Haitian farmers I work with are some of my biggest heroes in life. So it's a really neat experience, and still a community I'm very much a part of. That's amazing. That's amazing. So. When you were there, and it seems like you were really, really in a spot of, of I mean, danger to the point of, of losing your life, which to talk about it now, obviously, I don't know because you the one you were the one that experienced that. But there's almost yeah. no way that we could fully understand, like, the struggle and the pain that you were actually going through at that time. So – when you were going through that and then once you made it through that and you started to see this project um, building and this community building and, and the, the fruits of your labor, how did that change you? How did that shape your identity and, and, and impact you as a person? Yeah, it, um, it made me realize that um, actions speak louder than words and uh, the transition really being, I think, in the Peace Corps you go and we actually, there were some, I know there some Marines joined the Peace Corps and they lasted a few months and then quit and said the people wouldn't do what I told them to do. <laughs> and uh, that's not the way it works. And so, you know, I think how it changed me is it, it showed me that, you know, it doesn't matter what degrees you have. It doesn't matter where you've worked. It doesn't matter, you know, how smart you are. People only care what you know um, when they know that you care, right? Um, to use um, uh, Roosevelt's saying, and it, it, it made me realize that if you're going to work with people in any environment, and I've now worked with some of the wealthiest people in the world through Goldman Sachs and MIT and, and some of the most impoverished people in the world in Haiti, Dominican, and Afghanistan, that you've got to really serve at their level, and you've got to be humble. And so it taught me humility. Uh, I, was, uh, I had a high degree of confidence in myself and a lot of things that I could do. And when that came shattering down and I realized how unimportant, frail and weak I truly was um, and how, how kind of um, 
uh, small I was in this grand scheme of things, it allowed me to be a better servant and a, and a, I think a better leader. So it really changed the way I thought. Uh, it's not, hey, I'm going to be more important and then people will listen to me. It's, no, I'm going to invest in them and care about them and then they'll listen to me. Um, so it just paradigm shift uh, for me, which is why I truly believe in, in servant leadership. And I think that um, some of the best leaders in the world really demonstrate that. Uh, and it's much needed in our in our society today, in our in our country, frankly. That's a very humbling realization. Of mm-hmm. wow, I'm maybe I'm not as important as as I think I am. Um, in in one capacity, obviously, we all have values, human beings, but um, yeah, it, it makes me think. In order to to set big goals and accomplish big goals and and do incredible things, as you've done throughout your life, which I'm very excited to continue talking about. Um, it would seem like we would have to have some sort of uh, some sort of confidence or, or maybe even, you know, a touch of possibly a touch of arrogance to think, wow, I could, I could do this, or this is the level that I want to, that I want to go to. But then there's that other side, which we just spoke of, of really getting humbled by like the reality of the world is that, something is there a tension there did it can they both coincide and like how do you actually navigate that to 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 empower yourself to be able to accomplish the the big things but not get too big for your britches yeah yeah i think there's there's a a belief you know how much do you believe in yourself and one of the things i get accused of sometimes is not taking myself too seriously and having been in life and death dramatic situations um, I think you, you in business, you get paid for the risk you take, right? And so there's a degree of, of risk that I'm maybe more comfortable with because I might not be dead the next day <laughs> if I take it. Um, and so I have a, a bit of confidence around that, knowing, um, knowing that a lot of the financial and business risks I'm taking don't mean that I'm gonna, my, my family and I are going to get wiped out by the Taliban or something terrible tomorrow. Um, and so I think I have a little bit more confidence knowing that um, these things that happen in business and life um, in that context um, aren't going to be um, life-threatening. And uh, so it gives me a little more peace and confidence, I would say, in some situations. Um, I don't get as anxious because um, you're not, you know, your life's not at risk and that sort of thing. So it seems like recognizing the situation you're actually in not getting too wrapped up in oh this could be bad for my wallet if it doesn't work out but i'm still going to survive at the end of the day like i'm going to make it right tomorrow. right as an intelligence officer you learn to think about context right and so i try to put things individual problem sets into a greater context uh which is life faith family um and so contextualizing things has helped me to not um, get so scared about taking risks in different uh, scenarios. That's interesting. The, the, so can you, can you maybe explain that a little bit more like contextualizing it? I mean, like how, how, how can we practically implement that in, you know, in, into our lives today? Yeah. Well, I'll give an example. You know, if you, uh, if you have, if you're working in a business and I've been in this uh, spot before too, and, you know, you're, you're going to have a big sale for the year or a big deal is going to come through, right? And that doesn't come through and it affects you financially and you have to um, adjust, right? Or you have to go out and you have to find that next sale or that next deal or that next business 
um, to get, instead of um, getting down on yourself, you say, okay, what's my context here? Where am I going to be in 40 years, right? Who's going to be at my funeral? You know, what's going to happen when my grandkids are on my knee? And you think, hey, 40 years from now, this just isn't going to matter. It's just going to be a blip on the road. And so looking at things longer term um, and contextualizing them, then you come back and you say, okay, I'm either going to not worry about this and we'll get it done next year, or, hey, I'm going to fill this hole. I'm going to get this sale. I'm going to get this new client. I'm going to get this deal done. Um, and you just go and execute uh, in a more of a positive um, forward-leaning way as opposed to a scared, oh, my gosh, um, sky is falling way. So it's almost like detaching yourself from the immediacy of the of the situation and saying, okay, well, in the greater scheme of things, this really isn't the end of the world. Like it's not that yeah. big of a deal. I'm going to be okay. And then – Real, once you realize that, then almost zooming back in with that same mindset and being like, okay, rationally, like, what are my options here? How can I approach this? You know, is it, do I just kind of say, all right, maybe it can wait till next year or approach it from, all right, this is what I need to do to get it done. Let's just execute and, and be on it. Right. It, it helps. And it helps you from an emotional um, or an EQ standpoint, it helps you to, to kind of control your emotions and just think logically through the problem set as opposed to, getting so emotionally involved that it affects you in a negative way. It doesn't always work that way. I still get emotional, <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's, um, it's something that I, I think is, has helped me over my career in life um, by having different contexts uh, to understand that this one, um, you know, can be handled in a more manageable way in many cases. Well, to me, that's a very, very powerful framework because it almost gives you a tool to be able to, check yourself and and your decision making process because like if you're in the middle of it and you're about to pull the trigger on something but it may not feel right you could say all right wait a second let me let me zoom out assess zoom back in dive back into it that's a very powerful tool i, I actually yeah. think that can help yeah. a lot of people who just may have not articulated that before never been exposed to that sort of thinking so i want to shift gears a little bit sure um when you were in the peace corps how did you then transition out of that role? Yeah, so um, so I uh, was in the Peace Corps 2005. Um, so it actually set up, um, uh, uh, you may have noticed through my background that I kind of followed my heart through a lot of things. Um, and in 2005, Katrina happened in New Orleans, right? So I um, applied to graduate school in New Orleans, went to uh, Tulane. Um, and uh, was part of the rebuilding of New Orleans. Uh, I love my home state. I'm fourth generation Louisiana guy. Um, love the Saints and you know the whole thing. And so I uh, was able to go. Well, yeah, say they gonna beat them Saints. I love it. Um, so I was able to go back, um, be part of uh, help rebuild a school, um, Timmel Green Charter School, as a Jones Scholar at Tulane, um, and be part of this amazing community and this kind of revival of what today is, is New Orleans, which is a different New Orleans, a different Tulane. Tulane is service-oriented, involved in the community. It wasn't historically. There's more Peace Corps volunteers um, returning to Tulane than any other school in the nation. Um, so, and they have a compulsory service com you know, component. I'm on the board of the business school there now. And um, so it was from one passion project to the next, really, and just being involved in the city, in the school, and what it meant to serve others. And then I got to work under John Elstrott, who is a men mentor of mine, who was one of the founding guys at Whole Foods and chairman of Whole Foods, Celestial Seasonings, Silk, Soy Milk, 
um, and others. And he had this double bit bottom line business model where you could help people, right? And you can make a profit. And you've got to do both because the profit keeps the business going, but helping people keeps them alive and excited about what they're doing, whether it's their employees, whether it's the owners, whether it's farmers that you're buying oranges from to ultimately sell orange juice in your store. And so I was able to go from the Peace Corps, take these kind of business lessons to help people through the cooperative that helped the farmers make more money for their uh, families and then learn this in business and say, okay, how through the business world can you serve others, make the world a better place? How do you do both? And I am convinced 100% that doing both makes the business better, um, makes it uh, more sustainable, it makes more profit, and that it's a win-win. And so was able to go from that one passion project into the next, both with some business and some kind of service and, and um, making an impact. So how did you actually go about aligning yourself uh, with, with the gentleman from Whole Foods? How did that, how did that come about? What was that conversation like? Yeah, he, so he was a professor um, and is still involved in New Orleans. Uh, he is, I would say, an incredible servant leader. I, I can't tell you how many people like me he's mentored over the years and taken his very important um, and expensive time to do that. Um, he was a professor there when I was there um, and ran the Entrepreneurship Institute. So I, uh, I actually had a business plan at the, um, that was a social entrepreneurship business plan. And I think we, I think the prize was like 10 grand or something like that, but he coached me on it. We ultimately entered the competition and won the competition and he was my mentor for that. So that's how we kind of got involved. And then we've stayed in touch through the years um, as well. Uh, looked at different things. He's given me advice over the years and been very helpful to me, I would say in my career, but, but also just really as a person, because I think he's a really amazing person. That's incredible. So you had this amazing professor at school that was also this knockout entrepreneur. And then it seems like y'all, y'all have had this amazing relationship ever since then. That's incredible. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he probably has no idea how much of an impact he's had because he talks to so many guys like me. Um, there's more, more like me than there are like him. Um, but he is, uh, I would say, um, relative to how important and wealthy and amazing he's been as a business leader, He's very humble and kind, and uh, and that's something you don't often see. And so I've always looked up to him in that regard. From that moment when you were in uh, in, in school, um, and and you know doing providing service in New Orleans, um, also it seems like you were learning about business and entrepreneurship at the same time. Uh, what was your path from there? Yeah, so I took I took a dual path. Um, what I ended up doing is I wanted to really learn the world of business from an institution at the highest levels. And Goldman Sachs seemed to be one of those institutions. Um, so I actually joined uh, the Navy Reserves while I was at Tulane in graduate school as an intelligence officer, went, uh, went through my training and started in the Navy Reserves and joined Goldman Sachs around the same time, right? Um, so I was one foot in this institution um, at the higher level of finance and business drinking through the fire hose, learning quickly, you know, Peace Corps to Goldman Sachs isn't a transition a lot of people make. (laughs) Um, So I was a little behind the eight ball and had to catch up, uh, put the work in. Um, And then at the same time was uh, was doing the Navy Reserve work. Uh, So was able to really, um, once again, do service um, and and business. And so what was your inspiration for really wanting to get into business? Like, why was that a, a goal of yours? 
Well, you know, I saw business leaders be able to make an impact, right? Whether they did it through their communities, whether they did it through investment, or whether they did it through um, uh, public service, right? I think uh, Goldman Sachs, for example, is a place where a lot of people have gone on to public service, whether it's the treasury um, or, uh, or politics or um, just public service roles. Um, they also had a very strong military presence, um, Peace Corps Volunteer America, AmeriCorps uh, volunteers, in fact, have many friends from those organizations in in, uh, in Goldman Sachs. And so um, the business world seemed to me uh, to be a place that I could earn a living for my family, but also create value um, in the world and, um, and serve through business. So I've always had, um, ever since I was little, had a bit of that kind of business um, bug. And was it a particular type of company that you wanted to to start or you just knew you wanted to be in business? Yeah, I just knew um, I wanted to be uh, in a place where I could lead others um, and try to make a positive impact. And so as I've gone through different types of businesses, I've seen different types of opportunities uh, to do that. It's melded my thinking um, as I've, as I've moved around uh, through my career. What have been some of the evolutions of, of your thinking? Yeah. So I would say, you know, I had a um, very life-altering experience deployed in Afghanistan. Uh, I can tell you a bit about that. But coming back um, to Goldman after that, I, I really started to be very involved with our military recruiting and supporting military who are transitioning um, and trying to help them get jobs, whether it's Goldman Sachs or somewhere else, right? And so that evolved my thinking. Uh, I went from there um, to a to a business that was very um, driven um, by by service and impact as well. Um, it was a business that tried to create more community in the world. So ultimately, we would acquire multifamily apartments. Um, we would renovate them, and then try to build out a community by talking to the people in the community about what they wanted, and whether it was a dog park or whether it was a swimming pool. But try to build something. This is their home, and try to treat them with dignity and respect in their home, and create a community for. Um, for someone who was in one of these these houses and say, hey, this is, we're not a landlord, we're not a slumlord, the, these are these people's houses, and we want them to feel comfortable um, and good, and we want to create a community to where they can raise their families and um, and thrive. And so I moved from Goldman into into that business, and that was kind of a, a step um, into a business that what I, I would say is more kind of like John Elstrott, the double bottom line uh, type of model. That was kind of it evolved uh, into there. And then ultimately what I'm doing today at Kotala, once again, we're trying to find leaders with a servant heart orientation. Um, and we are working on two opportunities right now where that, uh, that is the case and in in everything from our investors uh, to our partners are very aligned um, with that type, of, uh, that type of model. So I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and, and talk about that. Uh, that turning point in Afghanistan that you mentioned earlier? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, um, I guess there were, uh, there were a couple. I had a, um, uh, a friend of mine who um, was killed in an insider attack, um, and uh, we lost a couple others along the way. Um, uh, we ended up ultimately losing our commander um, and had to kind of bind together to, uh, to make things work. And, it was one of those moments, once again, it's kind of like my grandfather, there was an opportunity to be angry and bitter and frustrated and 
kind of hopeless. Um, but um, the leadership, and I have to speak to the team, the leader, their leadership was incredible. We kind of committed to one another to, to serve each other and um, really made it through. And we lost, uh, we lost a great man in our commander uh, and in uh, some of the others that we lost. We didn't lose the mission. Um, we stuck through it. And um, so coming back after that experience, I, I really said, hey, you know, how can I make my, my life more about service? How can I continue to have a career? Uh, but to where I do, um, I do it through, through others as well. And that was, I think, some of the evolution uh, that I've gone through. But it was uh, very impactful uh, in my life and had some incredible leaders. Uh, my first commander was um, a guy named Mike Hayes, who ended up uh, being a, a mentor of mine and uh, just really helping me through situations in life. So very eye-opening, very growing, and uh, I'm still growing to this day, even though I'll be 40 in a year or so, um, but really a, a great area of, um, of personal growth and, uh, and learning from a lot of men who are not here today that are much better men than I am um, from them and their heroism. So it seems like mentorship has also been a pretty big uh, – Pretty, pretty big piece of your life. Um, yeah. Are there any other mentors of yours that we haven't talked about that have been very influential? Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, a commander, I've had two commanders in the military on the intel side. Um, um, they're both captains now, Captain Brad Boyer and Captain Mike Friedberg have been incredible mentors to me uh, throughout my career um, in the military. Both of them, by the way, have been in business. One of them was a Harvard Business School guy and worked on Wall Street. And the other has been at one of the top consulting firms and done very successfully in business as well. And so they've helped mentor me through this life of trying to trying to do both. Um, been very involved today. I have a mentor uh, named Chuck Jarvie who ran uh, Dr. Pepper here um, in Dallas and has run many other companies. Um, and he uh, he's 82 years old, um, but he's really taken the time to take me under his wing and. Uh, show me how the world works, as he would say. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, you know, um, when you're when you're from from Louisiana and you uh, start behind the eight ball, you find people that are smarter and have been successful that have gone before you, and try to learn from them. So I've spent a lot of my life uh, with mentors who are, you know, trying to make me better and trying to learn from them. So, you mentioned how. Um, you move from Goldman into the the double bottom line based business, um, mm -hmm. and obviously now, um, you know you're you're doing something a little bit different. Um, can you talk about that chronology and how you actually got to where you are now? Yeah, sure, sure. So I moved to Dallas with this business. Um, it's called Invest Res. Um, which was the residential um, uh, community-based business, right? Um, and then I was co-officing with a good friend of mine who, uh, his name is Ralph Manning. Um, and uh, I actually, I was going to office down the hall with another group, and I called him and said I might be in his building. And he said, well, come on down. We'll give you a, a better price. You offer, you know, office down here. And so we have been, um, we were introduced by my sister-in-law, um, and we have been, this was uh, gosh, 12 years ago, something like that, and have just kept in touch, always wanted to do something together, and we had this value, um, value alignment, right? Um, he had been in the private equity business um, for 20-plus years, had been very successful, and thought there was another way to do it. He was also, he's also a man of character who really wants to do right in the world and, and, and help people, 
And uh, we came together and really built um, a model together. He took the lead on it. I came in and then we just started working on it and ultimately started it. And have had an incredible um, time together um, and kind of, kind of building the business. So That's amazing. So where yeah, we, you... we, we have kind of three, three pillars. So I'll, we have purpose driven. So we look for companies to invest in that are really, you know, going places and impacting lives. And so we want to track, you know, how much money you make in the business, but also how many lives you impact. Right. And that starts with the leadership and management teams of the business that businesses that we invest with. Um, so, you know, we have, um, two, two that we're working closely with today. Um, and, uh, and they have that servant leadership, um, type of value. So we lead with purpose. So, purpose-driven businesses, right? And we have longer-term capital, so we can stick with uh, businesses for the long-term to make an impact through various cycles. And then the third thing is we have what's called the Katala Enterprise System, which is a lean enterprise system. So it's about uh, something called Kaizen, which is continuous improvement, right? So we're constantly helping each other get better. And it comes with this humble approach where you, f- you focus on the problem set. If, there's a, if somebody makes a mistake, you don't focus on the person, but on the problem set. And you kind of have this open environment of that. Um, so we've used it on ourselves and, and with businesses. And uh, that continuous learning way of life has been something that we've really enjoyed um, doing together. That's amazing. So when when you're going about running your business and, and um, you know, it seems like everybody has their own strength, their own superpower. What would you say you're the best at as far as um, like your, your strengths, your weaknesses, where, where you really shine, your, your area of genius? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that I have any area of genius. I would say where, I'm, where I do uh, pretty well is understanding people and context around people. So understanding um, what motivates people and, uh, and trying to discern uh, part of my job is kind of like an intelligence officer. So we'll talk to you know, 200 CEOs or business owners a year and try to determine which one or two we're going to work with. And so part of my um, superpower, if you will, is trying to understand which, which is the right fit, right? Um, who really cares about taking their business to the next level? And then, uh, you know, some of the ones that maybe not, not be a fit are those who, you know, they're up here and their employees are down here. There's a lot of power distance between the two. And it's a my way or the highway kind of tough guy approach. And we don't see that as a way to ultimately build a great business where everybody's rowing in one direction and feels, feels important. Um, but then you'll run into that leader who's a servant leader, right? Um, and who has the courage to go out and do what's necessary, um, whether it's sweeping the floors or rolling the sleeves up on the shop floor um, to, to help their employees. We find those kind of inspirational servant leaders that are transformational. Um, and so my superpower is just finding those and try to, trying to support them. So I, I like to say my purpose here on earth is to inspire and guide servant leaders to create radical impact in this world and beyond. Um, and so that's what I try to do is, is find them, identify them, and then just support them, right? When did you get crystal clear on that particular skill set of yours? Yeah, I think it uh, – I think it might have been um, in between uh, Goldman and um, and Avesta. I think we, um, whether we were recruiting people that we thought would be good in the firm at Goldman Sachs or Avesta, I realized that 
recruiting people um, and trying to inspire them, bring them on and develop them uh, was something I really enjoyed doing. I didn't really know if I was good at it or not, but um, because I've had so many incredibly powerful mentors in my life, I've kind of promised them. I said, hey, if I'm ever kind of successful, <laughs> if I'm ever half as successful as you guys, I'm going to turn around and try to help somebody else kind of make it up that chain too. And so I, it was really a passion for finding somebody I thought had a lot of talent cared a lot and was a good person and wanted to go to this next level and investing in them. I just started doing it over and over again. Um, and then I think I did get uh, good at it along the way, but it's really just something I enjoy so much. I can't help but do it. So at this stage in the game, clearly, I mean, you've done so many amazing things. What's next? It's a good question. I, you know, I think where I am, it's helping others come up, right? I've had uh, so many people help me. Um, and so I'm, I'm at the point where it's, it's not really all about me anymore. It's, it's about um, who I can help. I run a political action committee um, that helps um, a lot of military uh, run for office. So we help guys like Dan Crenshaw, the guy with the eye patch in his early days and others. Um, and so um, really feel passionate about, you know, finding veterans who are coming home and want to serve again um, and taking it to the next level and helping them. Uh, I've done um, some talks with a guy named Joe Kennedy, who was in the Peace Corps with me. Um, and we've tried to inspire more people to go to the Peace Corps, right? Um, and sign on the line and, you know, take two years off to really serve and help others. And so I think the next step for me is how many people can I, uh, you know, I was inspired by my grandfather um, to have the courage to serve and how many people can I inspire uh, to go serve as well. And and not just for others, but for them, because I truly think it'll make them better and make their life experience richer as well. At this stage in the game, what questions do you still have about yourself? Yeah, I think um, some of the questions I have about myself are, you know, have I been the leader I've always wanted to be, right? Um, you're telling me that I've, that I've done some things that have been great and, and that my, it may look like that, but uh, about um, seven weeks ago, I had a uh, experience where I sat in a doctor's office um, and I looked up at a screen and he said, son, you, you shouldn't be here. You're very lucky to be alive. And he pointed to blood clots in, in my lungs. And uh, I realized that I could, have been, I could have been kind of a goner and I dodged a bullet. Right. And so it made, you know, sitting and talking to my little uh, four year old girl later that day and her asking, you know, are you OK, daddy? This and that. Uh, just simple things. I question, you know, am, am I on my phone too much? Am I working too much? Like how how do I come across? How do I show up as a leader? And, you know, am I showing up in a kind of you know workaholic fashion too much or am I showing up in a kind, loving servant, servant way. So I, you know, I think I'm always questioning, uh, about myself, whether I'm doing enough. And, uh, and I think I'll always question, uh, whether I've done enough. My, my mother started a Suzuki program called the, uh, Centenary Suzuki program in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, and as a true community leader, she's put, I think 3000 people through this program and she just is always helping them. My father's a community leader who's just always in the community, rolling his sleeves up, doing stuff for others. So I have two, both a father and a mother that have done so much that I'll always wonder uh, if I can ever do as much as they have. So that's, that's, that's where I question myself. That's my, 
my insecurity, I would say, is will I ever be will I ever be able to accomplish as much in helping others as they have? What's your dark side? Huh? Oh, my dark side? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would say, um, you know, periodically I can have a, a pretty dark side. I can go, um, uh, you know, I can be sometimes aggressive or, or tough sometimes. And I think, uh, through some of the experiences I've had, I can sometimes not be as empathetic as I need to be in certain situations. And I think that's, um, been a weak, weak part for me, uh, in life and, and in business, um, you know, seeing, uh, seeing, lives, you know, people die in these different situations and, uh, being somewhat, uh, desensitized to it. I think, uh, having little girls, um, those two, uh, little girls, Caroline and Annabelle have really helped me to have a softer, more sensitive side, uh, that I can tell you growing up as a, as the older of four boys, uh, and having a bit of a military career in Goldman was not always there for me. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm learning how, um, how to be more sensitive and and empathetic, um, and uh, from my little girls, uh, to counter my little dark side, if you will. So, you know, I, I want to be very, uh, cognizant of, of your time, uh, and Mm -hmm. and I want to be very respectful of it. Um, so I, I do have, uh, one more question for you and then, uh, then we'll wrap it on up. But, um, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, what, what gets you fired up in a positive and negative way? I think that's always what I wonder about people, right? I would say, um, in a negative way, I think, um, I've never liked bullies. Um, and so, uh, throughout my life, um, my dark side has probably come out the most when I see somebody taking advantage of someone else who's weaker. Um, and there's a motto uh, the Green Berets have called de oppreso libre or to free the oppressed. And um, whenever I see that, I do become a bit angry. And that's when I put my uh, you know, defender hat on as the oldest of the brothers and I want to go to battle. And so uh, I would say that's, that gets me you know, riled up in a n- negative way, but kind of a defend, defend the little brother type of way. Um, so I do, I really don't like bullies. And, um, and then I say on the just really positive uh, front, I get uh, very exciting about taking young people that want to make a difference uh, in the world. And young can be young at heart. They can be 75, they can be 65, 80, you know, or 15. Um, and really just giving them the tools to, uh, to make it to the next level to help others. It's that multiplier effect. And uh I believe whether it's, you know, Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa or the business leaders that we see today that are spreading the word in a positive way, like a John Elstrott, um, it's really having that impact. And I get super excited when I see opportunities um, to do that. That's awesome. Well, and I, and I think I have one right here. So <laughs> <laughs> at Coltala. Well, Edward, I want to thank you so, so, so much uh, for, uh, for coming on the show. Um, and, and sharing this time with me. It's been very special. Uh, and, and I just want to say thank you very, very much. No, thank you for all you do. Thank you for the content that you deliver. I think it's uh, very engaging and very helpful. And uh, thank you for your support of Louisiana um, and, and proud to be on your show. And thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. I'm humbled to, to have this opportunity. Well, thank you again. And to everybody who's watching and listening, thank you all very, very much. Um, Thanks, guys. God bless. And I'll, uh, I'll see you all on the next episode. Take care now.